You're listening to An Educated Guest, a podcast that brings together great minds in higher ed to delve deeper into the innovations and trends guiding the future of education and careers. Hosted by the president of Wiley Education Services, Todd Zipper. Hello, and welcome to An Educated Guest. I am Todd Zipper, and today I am here with Dr. Scott Rawls, president of Wake Technical Community College, North Carolina's largest community college, which serves 74,000 students. Scott has been a leader in higher ed since 2002 and has earned numerous awards, including the Distinguished Public Service Award from the North Carolina Chamber and the Order of the Longleaf Pine, North Carolina's highest civilian honor. Scott clearly has a passion for higher ed and understanding some of the challenges that it faces. Excited to talk with him today. Scott, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be with you. All right, let's get started. You're running the largest community college in North Carolina. What drove you to dedicate your career in this industry? Well, you said the word passion. It, it kind of started with a passion. Some may have said an obsession. Back in the 1980s, when I was coming along in college, I worked in a small manufacturing facility and then later had the chance to study in Japan and became fascinated, a little obsessed, if you will, about robotics and automation and computerization at the time. You know, I'm an older guy, so it was when personal computers were just coming along in terms of mass use and robotics on the on the workplace floor. And I had worked in a little facility where we didn't use advanced technology and then was able to see these amazing things in Japan uh, on the shop floors of highly roboticized manufacturing facilities. And it made me think, what's going to happen to the people I worked with? What's that transition about? So I began studying that. That was from a research perspective. And decided I wanted to be in a place where you do something about it. And I think that's where community colleges are. You know, I think about the the technology waves, and now we see new waves in terms of when people talk about AI and all that goes into to that. You know, I think community colleges help people get on top of the waves, to ride the waves, and not be bowled over by the waves. And that's what led me to community colleges. Oh, that's great. So on that note, let's not assume everyone knows what community colleges are and the role they play in our country. Can you elaborate a little bit here and maybe debunk some of the misconceptions we hear about community colleges? Well, I think community colleges are America's opportunity colleges, and we are unique. One of my mentors uh, was a great educator, a uh, longtime University of North Carolina president named Bill Friday. And one time he very pointedly said to me, don't ever forget that community colleges are America's great gift to education, that public schools started and were brought to America. Universities started other places, came to America. Community colleges started in America, and it was about opportunity, mostly, you know, a lot in terms of providing opportunity for military returning home from World War II, you know, was kind of a genesis for many. But for a place like North Carolina, our roots were in the notions of words we use today, like equity and economic mobility. But it was about how do you make opportunity beyond high school, which was becoming more the opportunity for economic advancement uh, widely available beyond high school. And so community colleges are, I like to say, we are as proud of our inclusivity as some parts of higher education are of their exclusivity. We serve the top 100%, and we're very, very proud of that and proud that we play a role where we hope everyone can succeed and that our communities thrive. And that's what makes us unique, that we are very focused on our communities. We're, we're local. We're not franchises. We don't worry about a national brand, but we do 
uh, obsess about making sure that we're impactful for our communities and all the people who live in our communities. And Scott, it seems like the new Biden administration seems very positive on the role of community colleges. And I know you were just in D.C. Can you talk a little bit about this and, and whether you see increasing funding flowing your way? Well, I think it could happen. You know, obviously, we've seen advances in the past through different kinds of attack grants during the Obama administration. I, I have a feeling that President Biden is highly impacted by someone who I used to work with, who was a colleague of mine at Northern Virginia Community College. And that is his, his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, who was an English instructor at Nova Northern Virginia Community College when I was president there. And uh, I know her passion for community colleges is built on not theory, but what she sees every day in her classrooms, the impact that happens to her students. Her passion is incredibly genuine. And I know, having had the time to interact with her and a little bit with the president, that that rubs off on the person she lives with and has had an impact on him. And and she was very much uh, impactful in the Obama administration. Uh, certainly the first community college summit, I think, was credited towards her impact. And I feel pretty strong she'll have an impact in, in this administration. And, you know, I think it, for all of us in community colleges, we're very gratified to have any form of attention, any form of opportunity that may lead to funding. But uh, that form of recognition, and f- particularly for someone who knows us so well and is part of us, like, like Dr. Biden, and, and will have an impact on administrative goals, I'm sure. That's great. So I want to jump into one of the main topics today, which is around apprenticeships and the key role that they play in our post-secondary system. And this century-old practice that seems to be commonplace in Europe and other areas of the world, but not so much in America. I think the stats say that 5% of young people train as apprenticeships, um, the overwhelming majority in the construction trades, whereas it's about 60% in Germany. This was an article from The Atlantic that I'm citing, and they even are in areas like IT, banking, and hospitality. So first, can you define what an apprenticeship is and why it is so important to our system? Well, apprenticeship is really the gold standard of work-based learning. Um, you know, and work-based learning takes many forms, but it is being able to combine the great benefit of on-the-job training and on-the-job experience with both classroom and shop training and education, often that occurs at community colleges or in other forms of educational institutions. As you mentioned, its roots are uh, very much beyond uh, the U.S. Certainly, uh, I was on the with two German companies this morning, and you never have a conversation with a German company when it does not focus around attention, the Scandinavian, Swedish, and other countries where it's just, that's the way you do business. I think that one of the things that's unique for them, they also think for the long term. So it's about long-term investments. It is an investment by companies. I've worked with many great companies, uh, particularly Siemens, uh, Bosch Siemens, and others who've, but it's a, it's a significant investment for them. But when they look at the long-term returns, it doesn't seem as such a great investment. If they were just looking at it over a year period, then it seems like an investment. I think the challenge a little bit for us in the U.S. is we tend to still be very either or. You know, it's it's something that, you know, yeah, you do with construction or manufacturing, but not other sectors. And I think many are finding that's not the case. For some, too, it's also been either or. Either, either you're an apprentice or you're a college student. Uh, no, you very much can be both. In fact, it is greatly beneficial when you are both, when you can have a college degree, credentials of, of meaning, and job experience, and by the way, have a job 
while you're actually pursuing that college degree. So for, for students, it's the best of all worlds. And I think for companies, it's a real foothold into building a strong, sustainable workforce. So yeah, so it sounds like we have a PR problem here because if, if we get about 220,000 new apprenticeships each year and we, I guess, have about 4 million students graduate from college, bachelor's, associate, master's, and up, that's a very small percentage. And so what do you think we can do to sort of improve the image of it, given it's, like you said, the gold standard of workplace learning? It's in some ways kind of a unique PR problem because on the one hand, it seems like everyone loves apprenticeship. I mean, you talk to a lot of companies and everybody, oh, we need to do more apprenticeship. Well, apprenticeship is the best thing in the world. And then why don't more do it? And I think what we have to do then is, in that regard, it is a unique PR problem because you rarely run into someone that says, oh, I don't like the idea of apprenticeships. But not nearly enough companies do apprenticeship, and therefore many individuals don't have those opportunities. I think we have to dig in a little bit and figure out why that's the case. I think that, uh, you know, I can just tell you what we're doing here at Wake Tech uh, through a county-supported effort called Wake Works, which I give full credit to our county commissioners, particularly our chairman of the county commissioners, Matt Calabria, who came to us and said, I want to make a difference. We want to make a difference as a county in terms of, he didn't say apprenticeship, but he described ideas around skills gaps and opportunities. And through collective conversation, that led to apprenticeship and that led to investment at our college where we have a team of folks to go out and work with companies to either sponsor apprenticeship uh, on behalf of the college for them or help companies register and become apprenticeable companies, trying to take the sting or a little bit of what some are afraid of, the, the administrative burdens out. And so that's one attempt. And then also to incentivize, to, to provide scholarship support for those students who are apprentices so that, you know, at least for that part of costs that companies may have paying for, for one of their employee students to go to college, we want to incentivize that. So in some cases, we have probably not been as strong about that as states or as a country. I know in North Carolina, a decade ago, if you were an apprenticeship company, you had to pay a fee to be registered. Well, we need to kind of step back and figure out if this is so important, which I do believe it is, then how do we make it easier for companies and for our students and for individuals to be able to be part of these apprenticeship opportunities? Yeah, the data seems pretty conclusive that uh, according to apprenticeship.gov, 94% of apprentices who complete apprenticeship, retain employment, have an average salary of $70,000, which is which is quite good. And I'm guessing greater than a lot of bachelor's graduates. So switching to this uh, WakeWorks program, it seems like you're modifying the standard apprenticeship model quite so, moving beyond trades into areas like healthcare and IT, some really in-demand fields right now, especially in the research triangle you're in. I noticed also you have this Propel program. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that too, how you, you approach the market, both with this apprenticeship program and this Propel program. Well, Wake Works, that brand has kind of taken on a brand for us. So our programs, Propel, which is a short-term accelerated, almost think of it as boot camp type approach to provide a foothold to jobs and a foothold to degrees. That's one element. But Wake Works apprenticeship is those particular engagements with employers in Wake County to become apprenticeable, to become apprenticeship, registered apprenticeship companies and our team working with them and to provide funding, to provide scholarship support in that regard. One of the things that we do, a big part of that is pre-apprenticeship, trying to work to develop shorter term programs that can lead to alternative credentials that 
then can become a kind of a hiring pool for individuals to hire from, provide engagement for people throughout communities, and then present folks for apprenticeship opportunities. And so part of our goal is to keep cultivating and bringing in more and more companies across more and more sectors for those opportunities, and then create these pre-apprenticeship programs. And then the apprenticeship programs typically happen through our degree programs, where that becomes the related training. And it kind of flips the model, if you will. So, you know, the traditional model has been that I go to school, I graduate, and then I go look for a job, and I find a job, or I hope to find a job. Well, the, the apprenticeship model is have this opportunity where you can get a job, and then you train for that job as you go along, both on the job and through a college like ours. And I think for companies, particularly in a tight labor market, they find that's a way to get to students early and to give them an opportunity where they'll stay with them because it has this progressive wage structure. Once I get through that, I'm sort of on a probationary wage period. And then they know that coming down the road, very specifically written into the, the process, there will be a wage bump once you accomplish this. So for, for students, for the individuals, they see that straight line, what that opportunity is going to be. And for the companies, they get that foothold very early with great employees and help cultivate them along the way, but also build that loyalty back to the company. So I noticed on your web, some of the career options are, are really quite amazing from software developer using Python to central sterile processing technician to robotics technician. It seems like if you read between the lines, the employer demand for the jobs that they have available is kind of showing up in the programming that you're designing at the college. Can you talk a little bit more about how you make some of these programming decisions? Well, and that's really not by accident. So we, we really look for those areas that what we talk about a lot at, at Wake Tech is, is ladders. We want people to ladder into the opportunities that exist in our region. And we're fortunate. We serve a, a high tech cub. So we have tall ladders. But how do you get from one rung to the next? And so you were describing a lot of what we call our Propel programs. Those are those accelerated boot camp type programs that lead to an alternative credential, a certification, a licensure, an industry recognized credential. And those for us are foothold, what we call foothold programs. We want them to give individuals a foothold to a first job, but then credit into a degree. And they have a triple foothold when they can also be apprenticeable into an apprenticeship opportunity. And so you'll see some of those types of programs where, you know, you would be able to gain a, a certification in an area like just pick one like a mechatronics, gain a, a certain certification, take that to a company, get a job, but then continue to get the degree in mechatronics by, by that. And that degree walks you to into the related training. It accounts for the related training for the apprenticeship. And by ladders, we mean that we want there never to be a stopping point on that ladder. So we partner with universities to create those strategic transfer opportunities. So something like Mechatronics can transfer to East Carolina University and their Bachelor of Science in Industrial Technology, which they have a co-location partnership with us here at, at Wake Tech. So it's the idea of being able to start manageable with training that leads to meaningful employment, walk that into a degree, walk that into potentially an apprenticeship, and keep walking it forward to a lifelong career. So to do this, you have to be quite nimble. When you started to initiate some of these changes, how did staff and faculty and other stakeholders feel about these changes? Did you face resistance? How is that going? 
No, it didn't face resistance. I mean, in fact, I think with community colleges, you'll find that you know, there's never a debate, and particularly in North Carolina community colleges, about whether the tight relationship with the job market with employers is appropriate. I mean, it just is because our ultimate goal is about how education impacts economic mobility. And you can't have economic mobility if you don't have the economic side of that, the job opportunities. So working very closely with our employer community is just part and parcel of who we are. So we don't really ever debate that. I think what is the evolution at our college, and sometimes colleges like ours, is not thinking in terms of programitis, that, well, there's either this program or that program, but how they come together to create, as we say again, more of a ladder. And that's kind of a theme for us. We, we look at our own college as our region's largest ladder college. We have great magnet institutions here, Duke University and Durham. They bring people from, in from all over the world to the Research Triangle. Many of them are going to go back all over the world again. We're just the opposite. Everyone who goes to Wake Tech, or almost everyone, either lives in this county or the surrounding counties, grew up into this area. But the challenge is will they be able to ladder into some of those great new opportunities, emerging opportunities? And we see that as our special role. But what that means is we can't be either or. And sometimes you see this debate going on is skills versus degrees, training versus education. Well, why should you have to choose? You know, because sometimes just job training without the opportunity to further into a degree is like a ladder with only the bottom rungs. But a lot of higher education, university, other types of degrees now are like a ladder with the top rungs, unreachable by people who they need to work to go to school, not just go to school so they can get a job. And and that's that's kind of where we are. So you and I have talked about your Finish First initiative, which I think is part of this ladder approach. Can you also explain what that is and, and how you're making that work? Well, Finish First is a Wake Tech innovation Dr. Kai Wang and data scientist in our innovation and effectiveness team were just very innovative in using data science to, it sounds like, why doesn't everybody do this? But we really kind of pioneered this a little bit so that we can use that data science to pinpoint for every stopout at Wake Tech how far away they may be from any type of credential, which can also be a short-term certificate that may be part of a degree that they were earning. And so it really uses that information to target those students who have stopped out for whatever reason. And the challenge with stopouts at community colleges is that even though students stop out and intend to come back, the majority will eventually drop out. They don't follow through on that intention to come back. And so we call out to our students. We've partnered with a group called Inside Track and reach out to each of our students. But now when you reach out, it's not just encouraging them hey, you need to come back. This makes, here's reasons. We can say to them, you are two classes away from this. You are, this is how close and here's how to do it. And here's, it's really bringing them back in that regard. And what we're working towards now is, is how we're career mapping all of our degrees and, and trying to get to a place where we don't just tell, say to them, you're two classes away from this credential but also say, what does that mean in our workplace? What does that mean in terms of the job openings that, that are available with that credential? And then where could you go from there? So trying to bring that together, but use the data to, to have a more informed conversation with students about the benefits of returning and finishing what they started. 
community colleges can be quite collaborative. You thought about how you could help apply this new kind of process and technology to many of your peers out there. Like you said, this is a big problem when students stop out, they're likely to drop out. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why it can't be applied broadly. And actually, we are uh, through support uh, like the the John and Belk Endowment and also the uh, Lumina Foundation support. And we're partnering very closely with the UNC system, the University of North Carolina system and community colleges around the state. And because there's multiple applications to it for some of our students, you know, they may transfer without actually graduating here. So it sort of we can, you know, it's kind of the reverse transfer process, but we can go out to students who maybe a couple of courses away, we can indicate to them what's the next place they could go with their degree. What does that mean within our own market? Also, in terms of, you mentioned some of our Propel courses, if they're in a program that can lead to course credit in a degree program, reaching out to them to say, here's what you've just completed. Now you've got to jumpstart into this and, and not just what it means in terms of, yes, you can earn a degree. What does that degree mean in this labor market right now? And that's what we're trying to, to reach. And that's the opportunity of the data and the collaborations. So you've talked a lot about this applied learning in a very local, regional way, which is excellent. But you've also recently signed the National Apprenticeship with Amazon, I believe. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you're bringing that into the institution? Well, the Amazon partnership, we are, it also has a local connection because Amazon has created one of their largest fulfillment centers in Garner, employing 3,000 individuals. And so we've worked closely with them in that regard. And they, they've made multiple investments in our region in that regard. I had an earlier connection with Amazon through my, uh, when I was president at Northern Virginia Community College. And they, they came to us with a very unique challenge when I was president there. They, cloud computing, uh, Amazon Web Services, which headquarters uh, there in the in the Northern Virginia area behind Seattle, they, they said, can you create an apprenticeship program, your college, in six weeks that would be similar to the cloud apprenticeship in Seattle? And we had kind of a unique choice at that point in time because we'd never done anything like that. And on the one hand, we thought, well, maybe we should just say we don't know how to do that. But we thought if we say yes and we're successful, it's not going to be any worse if we fail than if we said no. So we gave it a shot and we did well. And that led to further things like the cloud degree at Nova and other areas. So Amazon kind of turned to us based on some of those relationships, based on their investment in the triangle. Similar challenge, they had one mechatronics and robotics program. They were, they were growing to four, I think they're five now across the country. And could we stand that up in a relatively short period of time to train uh, the people who repair the, the robotics and all the automation and the fulfillment centers and be one of those five hubs? And again, we said, yes, we can. And we did it. And uh, we just graduated our second cohort last Friday. So a couple of questions around the pandemic. First is, you know, I know the pharmaceutical industry has got a lot of demand for its needs and products right now and has a big presence in North Carolina. I believe your institution has been adapting to that. And so can you talk a little bit about that category? Uh, it's a particular niche for us. You know, one thing that's unique about community colleges is, you know, that notion of being what is your community? And so you'll see colleges, we're part of the ecosystem, but we also help develop that infrastructure. And, and for us, life science has been a big part of the 20 year or more development of that infrastructure. So it is an area that felt like it never experienced any slowdown during the pandemic. And it's just kind of been a rocket ship moving forward. And we've seen 
huge investments, announcements just within the last six months, uh, the largest in our state's history with Fujifilm, Diasynth Biotechnologies, Biogen, Eli Lilly and Durham, just multiple growth. For us, we've been making bets in that regard for a long time, developing infrastructure. So we've developed short-term training programs that are entry points into frontline jobs with biopharma manufacturing companies, one called BioWork. It's part of the Propel program, so now you can take that free of charge. In terms of laddering, it walks into our biopharma technology degree, and we're adding another biotech degree, which is more of a lab-based degree to go with that. Uh, we have dual enrollment programs with our high schools. We have early college high schools where you can gain those degrees while you're in high school. We'll create an, our second biotech. Um, we have three of those. We'll have one focused just on biotech and IT starting in 2022 uh, at our new RTP campus. And then our partnerships with our university partners. Uh, we share a the largest, uh, I think, on the East Coast biotech teaching factory with NC State University that's on their campus. And so it provides the latest and kind of that upskilling that is needed. And so, you know, we've kind of developed this ecosystem. And so when you have the ecosystem, now the issue is just keeping to scale that ecosystem and it creates more opportunity. That's great. So also when the pandemic hit, everything went virtual. Community colleges are often very sort of in-person based or certainly to a degree. How has your team adjusted to that? And what do you see going forward once things kind of get back to normal? Yeah, I've been very proud of the team here at Wake Tech because I know all institutions are of their teams dealing with the, the probably the biggest, most challenging year we've faced going fully virtual just a little over a year ago in March, a year ago. One thing I'm very thankful for at Wake Tech is the preparation that started six years ago, not knowing that a pandemic was coming down the pike at us. Our county invested a lot in our technology infrastructure, which gave us kind of the redundancy and resiliency of the technology that we needed in terms of just the sheer infrastructure, being having all our courses on a learning management system, having all our courses accessible to synchronous uh, technology. But probably the most important investment was a, a big focus on training and education for all faculty. And so when the pandemic hit, about 60% of our faculty had already been through what we call an, an EPIC 30 training certification program for online education. And we just accelerated that through the summer. So when we came back by fall, every faculty member had been through that very rigorous training. So that put us in a good place in that regard. The place we had to, we, had, we made adjustments, and I think will also lead to the changes moving forward, is while we were, I think, more prepared to be virtual with our courses, we weren't as prepared to be as virtual with our supports and our services. And we had to hustle in that regard and, and figure out, well, if you're not physically here, how do you be present? How do you be accessible? How do you use technology? And we did that. Uh, we found creative ways, you know, th and things that we have to do at community colleges, like we have food pantries at every one of our campuses. Well, we had to convert those into food cards where we could give food cards. And we gave out 4,300 food cards to students last year in, in, in lieu of our pantries. We had to convert all of our tutoring centers from places that students went to places they accessed and at times that were beyond what we had had in the past. And I think that form of accessibility, that notion of a, a blended approach to what we do will be the ongoing change that takes place at our institution. So before we wrap up, I want to get back to apprenticeships for a second. I was just reading that President Biden 
endorsed Congressman Bobby Scott's Bipartisan National Apprenticeship Act of 2021, which is expected to create and expand registered apprenticeships, youth apprenticeships, and pre-apprenticeship programs. The committee estimates the bill will create nearly 1 million new apprenticeship opportunities, which nearly doubles from where we are today and would be a great step forward. This is one of those rare things in higher education that has bipartisan support. What is getting in the way of success here? Well, I think something that we have to think about with all of this is at the heart of the types of education, or what in apprenticeship terms would be called related training, is typically very high demand and sometimes expensive technical education, whether that be moving into areas like IT, where you can see cyber apprenticeships or cloud apprenticeships like we did with AWS, the mechatronics, robotics, those areas are expensive. They are areas that you just don't teach totally online a lot of times. They're in high demand areas, so instructors can get other jobs other than teach. And so there's a cost to that. And I think one of the challenges, you know, we talked about apprenticeship, and everybody loves apprenticeship, but we haven't always invested in apprenticeship. We've had bills for apprenticeship in the past. There haven't been budget lines connected to apprenticeship. Same thing with technical education. You know, I often feel like the greatest gap in rhetoric and investment in education today is in really meaningful technical education. And so just like we're talking about with bio, all the opportunities with biotechnology, biopharma manufacturing, doing clean room based training, that's expensive stuff. It leads to rewards because it leads to meaningful high paying jobs, but it is not something done on the cheap. And too often, I think, We have approached technical education a little bit on the cheap, and we haven't really invested in technical education, meaningful technology-focused technical education in the ways that meet the rhetoric of what we say sometimes. So the the old safety ratio we need to execute on here. Well, we're going to have to scale, you know? So to grow it, we have to scale, and scale means instructors. Scale means facilities that typically aren't just your normal classrooms or equipment in that regard. And that scaling does take resource. Got it. So, Scott, any other innovations underway at Wake Tech we haven't covered or anything you're seeing with other schools that has your attention right now? You know, I think when we look at innovation, I'm excited to see what happens coming out of the past year. I think for a couple of reasons. One is we quickly had to be innovative. And I gave a few examples from Wake Tech, and I've just been marveled at my colleagues from across the country, the innovation and resiliency of our faculty and staff and our students. And so we've kind of reinvented ways of doing things out of necessity. And I think you will see that continue. I think the other thing that happens that will spark innovation in the future is this resiliency and sense of confidence that comes from collectively dealing with a challenge. I mean, when you take an institution like Wake Tech with 70,000 students and you say in two weeks, okay, we're going totally online, that's a huge challenge, the kind of challenge you're not sure if you can really pull off. But once you collectively pull it off with a combined great number of innovations, but just great resiliency and commitment, it gives institutions like ours, I think, collective confidence to move forward and tackle some of the challenges that perhaps in the past we may have thought were 
tough to overcome. I think now we ha- probably have a collective self-confidence and a sense of how we can innovate that will propel us forward. And so, so I'm excited about that future. So Scott, as we wrap up, I ask this of all my guests, one of our core values at Wiley is learning champion. Who has been a learning champion for you and how has that person helped you in your life? I uh, can't pick just one, so I'll pick two real quick. First, I want to give a shout out to my mom. She's She'll be 85 years old next month. She was a first grade teacher, and so I watched her just through that process. But she also was a voracious reader, and so she taught me a love of reading. And that's, you know, if anything, just being a reader, I think, has been core to that learning, lifetime learning. And then I'm going to give one shout out uh, to, I mentioned my obsession, my passion around robotics and automation. I've reconnected with a, a professor from my grad school years who was a guy named Frank Levy, who Frank, when I went to the University of Maryland, I was not in his degree program. He was an economics instructor. I was not in his field, but I, I discovered his work. He was studying you know, what happens to jobs with automation and robotics and changing work. And I found him and went and it didn't take much begging and he allowed me to be in his class and kept up with him and he went on and now he's in North Carolina. He's Professor Emeritus from MIT. He teach, he, he has an office at Duke, but we've reconnected and I just kind of love being connected with him because it goes back to the that time when I was exploring and trying to figure out what it was going to be for me and he helped me along the way and, and now to reconnect, that's been a fun thing for me over the last couple of years. Scott, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. What you're doing is absolutely game-changing, and I hope more institutions take notice. So until next time, this has been an educated guest. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to an educated guest on your listening platform so you don't miss the latest episodes. For more information on Wiley Education Services, please visit edservices.wiley.com.